Chinese are terrified they're going to get fake goods. They don't want to buy fake goods. They want to buy real goods made in the UK by UK people. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me every Tuesday and Friday when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice on making in the UK. Let's crack on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Make It British podcast. Now I'm going to sound a little bit odd on the beginning of this podcast intro today because I had previously recorded it, gone away from my holiday, thought everything was fine and then realised there was an error in the original recording. So I'm now having to do a makeshift intro whilst recording it on my mobile phone because I have no podcast microphone with me under a blanket so I sound less um, echoey because I'm in an echoey room and um, doing a makeshift intro for you so I can introduce the fantastic Paul Alger from the UKFT on this podcast. So this episode is a recording of a talk done by Paul Alger, who is Director of International Business at the UKFT, which is the UK Fashion and Textiles Association, and it's entitled Made Here, Sold Everywhere. Now, Paul has over 30 years' experience helping thousands of fashion and textile designers and brands to export their products overseas, and he was recently awarded an MBE for his services to exports in the UK fashion and textile industry. So in this talk, Paul covers everything you need to know about exporting your British-made products. Now over to Paul. First of all, this talk is entitled Made Here, Sold Everywhere, Um, selling UK manufactured fashion and textiles in the UK because it's a global world and overseas. So I'll try and talk um, about... Oh, here we go. So before I do, I will give you just a bit of a rundown on UKFT, the UK Fashion and Textile Association. You're a captive audience, here you are. Uh, We'd like to tell you a little bit about who we are so that you will know what the background is to this. So UKFT is an organization set up, private trade association set up by the industry for the industry. Um, Our remit is to be effectively the organization that brings together the business of fashion and textiles. Uh, We like to think that we are the most inclusive uh, network for fashion textile companies in the UK. We'll never turn you away because your product is too cheap or too dark or too bright. We'd like to talk to everybody. Um, We bring together designers, manufacturers, agents, retailers, anybody who wants to talk, anyone who wants to take part in that conversation. Uh, Business in our industry, both in the UK and throughout the world. Um, We are in a very unique position because in the UK we are uh, unusual compared with other European associations because we bring together fashion and textiles, but we also bring together spinning, weaving, knitting, and we go right the way through to catwalks, as I will try to explain later on. So that's quite unusual in the UK. Um, We're headquartered in London, but that doesn't mean that we don't go out into the regions. Uh, We have offices in, uh, I've got my glasses on, so I'm finding it a bit difficult to read this screen, but uh, the East Midlands, Lancashire, uh, Merseyside, Yorkshire and Wales. 
Uh, many of our members are based throughout the country, throughout the country, and we work with anyone who wants to be, who is passionate about product. But we are here today to talk primarily about people who are passionate about manufacturing in the UK. So a few facts and figures. You've got them in there. Actually, I should probably read them more easily from this slide. So a few facts and figures. Statistics are always a little bit fluid. Um, it's always difficult to get hold of accurate statistics. Some people say that there is no fashion or textile industry left in the UK. Well, they would be wrong. And these figures are intended to show that that is not true. So £28 billion worth of GVA in the fashion textile industry, uh, employing over 105,000 people. Uh, and that goes to up to 120,000 if you include self-employed. Uh, 9.3 billion pounds worth of product. That's an increase of 12% uh, over the last two years. We export 9 billion pounds worth of products around the world. Lots and lots of SMEs. This is one of those industries that's really easy to enter. The barriers to entry are very low. Uh, lots of companies creating great businesses on their kitchen table and go on to become household names. Uh, some of them in the audience, I can see. Um, we import a lot, and this is the bad side, if you like. We import far more than we produce and export. Um, and so 19 billion pounds worth of clothing, and our aim would be to try and reverse that. We'd quite like to uh, start importing a bit less and exporting a bit more. Um, consumers in the UK, this is a huge market, 66 billion pounds worth on clothing, textiles and footwear of which 12 billion um, was purchased online. The UK is the world leader in, in, in percentage terms of the percentage of fashion products that are sold to consumers direct online, way ahead of the US as a percentage. Um, and a few world-beating Made in UK brands. Again, this is very much intended to show you that there are lots of people out there who are passionate. So, Bag of Scotland, Chrysalis, Edward Green, who make beautiful shoes, Ettinger, wonderful leather products, uh, based out of the uh, West Midlands, Fox Brothers, um, who are based in the Southwest and make this wonderful West of England tweed. Uh, Grenfell, many of you will have seen, who also have the Bluebird license. Harris Tweed Hebrides, everybody knows what Harris Tweed is, but it's uh, hugely popular. Jamesons of Shetland, we'll be taking them to Florence, to Pitti Womo next week. Uh, they will be mobbed on their nine square meter stand from the beginning of the show to the end. Uh, John Lobb, again, wonderful shoes. John Smedley celebrating their 235th anniversary this year. They are officially the world's largest, uh, sorry, oldest uh, manufacturing operation in the sector. Johnson's of Elgin, the largest manufacturer in our sector, based up in Scotland, making beautiful cashmere products and textiles. Joshua Ellis in Yorkshire, Linton Tweeds, Loch Caron of Scotland, Malaleus of Delft, who are I seem to recall actually here. Uh, Private White, based out of Manchester, uh, Slaith, based out of Yorkshire, and last but not least, uh, Stephen Walters in Sudbury. But the list goes on. I could have added Vanners, I could have added a whole load of people here. And what's interesting is when you leave, if you were to stop Joe Public in the street in the UK and say, who are these people? Joe Public probably hasn't heard of most of them. But there'll be certain parts of the world, the States, Canada, Japan, South Korea, where the chances are, if you would stop somebody in the street, they do know who John Smedley is. They do know who Private White is. And that's why a lot of the work that we do is about export, because we are 
preaching to an audience who are very hungry for made in UK products. So just a few lines on why do people make things in the UK? You know this as well as I do, but it's always worth, Kate said, tell them, so I'll tell you. Um, quality. Perception is that things that are made in the UK are of good, good quality, exceptional quality. Um, ethical, sustainable issues are really important to retailers, to designers, to brands. Uh, the UK has a reputation for being a good place to source sustainable and ethically produced products. Just because it's made here, it doesn't mean it's automatically sustainable. Um, but the closer it is that you are to your manufacturing source, the more easier it is as a designer, a retailer or a brand to go and check that the factory is as sustainable, as ethical as it claims to be. Flexible. Most of the designers that we work with, uh, we take 250 designers to Paris Fashion Week twice a year. We are the largest international group at Paris Fashion Week after the French and the Italians. Not a lot of people know that. Um, we punch above our weight in that market. Most of those designers are manufacturing small, uh, small production and they want it flexibly. They want to be able to get in the car and drive up to Leicester or wherever it is to make sure that the quality of the product is what they expect because they are selling a premium product at export. Um, and it's very important to them that they can check it and see it with their own eyes. The further away you go from home, the more difficult it is for you to do quality control, obviously. So obviously, if you assume that you're doing something in China, it's a little bit more difficult. You can't get in the car and go and check it. And then lastly, uh, sorry, not lastly, the small businesses starting out with their own business, their own atelier. I mentioned these kitchen table businesses. Um, these companies, a lot of them are actually manufacturing goods themselves with their own hands. So there's quite a lot of that going on in the UK. And a lot of these, these small ateliers then decide that they will take in work from other designers and other people um, because they like the products. And then lastly, provenance, because everyone now is really interested, particularly in our key export markets, about where things come from. And I'll talk about that in a moment. A few champions, I think, is always worth flashing up of people who are passionate about UK manufactured fashion and textiles. This is by far not um, an exhaustive list. I would guess that pretty much everyone in this exhibition, everyone in this room, would claim to be passionate about encouraging and supporting UK manufacturing. I know UKFT is, we know Kate is. Um, but there are a couple of designers that I've decided to put up here who, again, are absolutely passionate about supporting UK manufacturing whenever they can. So it's people like Christopher Rabin, for example, uh, who is very big on sustainability. Uh, Jeff Griffin of um, Griffin Laundry. Margaret Howell, again, uh, doesn't always manufacture everything in the UK, but primarily will manufacture as much as is possible in the UK uh, and works with a number of the knitwear companies here showing at Make It British. Also manufactures in Italy because there's some amazing manufacturing in Italy as well, so why not? Nigel Caborn, who you only really have to say to Nigel as I occasionally do, there's somebody 50 miles away that's struggling a little bit and wants to get some production through, can you go and see them? He'll get in the car and go and see them. He's interested to help. 
Paul Smith needs no introduction whatsoever. Uh, it's not all about made in UK, but is very passionate about encouraging uh, UK brands, designer brands and UK manufacturing. On the catwalk, people like Phoebe English, Stella McCartney, Suji, for example. Suji started off as a, a designer and creating his own products and is now uh, really, really successful on the international stage, uh, particularly selling into China, which is where he originally comes from. But then there are certain countries that are really very excited about things that are made in the UK. Um, anybody that knows me will know that I've spent a large amount of my time working for UKFT going to Japan. So I was once asked, which is the most important market for you? Which are the most important markets from your point of view? And the answer was Japan, 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 the United States, Canada, South Korea, and then China further down the line. But the Japanese in particular have a very specific interest in Made in UK. They love the fact that if they're going to Shetland, you have to clear the sheep from the runway before you can land the plane. Now, we might find that burdensome, but they love the story. Um, similarly, the Americans, uh, if you talk to uh, knitwear designers in particular, for most of them, the USA is their number one market. Um, Canada, a very big market, particularly for knitwear and outerwear. Um, South Korea, great for the designers. And China at the bottom, which is one of those markets which is growing fairly substantially over time, is really passionate about getting original goods from the UK. And that's why a lot of our companies are now selling online direct to the Chinese, because the Chinese are terrified they're going to get fake goods. They don't want to buy fake goods. They want to buy real goods made in the UK by UK people. Why would you export it? Well, UK manufacturing can be expensive. It's very niche. I'm not saying it's the most expensive, but it will certainly be more expensive than manufacturing in China. So if you are designing and manufacturing a niche product of a certain price, then the chances are that the UK high street is going to find it difficult to sell it at the price that you're going to be manufacturing it. So a lot of the brands that UKFT works with on its export program sell very little in the UK, but sell a lot to export. Most of them almost exclusively at export. Um, the UK market size and structure is not particularly friendly or hasn't traditionally been friendly to making in the UK. That's changing. We're delighted. Um, it, we, there is more to be done. Um, price resistance is a huge issue, not just in the UK, but particularly here. And the other big problem for designers starting out and smaller brands starting out is that the UK probably has fewer independent retailers now than virtually every, any other country, certainly in Europe. And that is a problem because there's a misconception out there that department stores are the ones that look at a product the first time they see it and say, yes, I want that. Usually the department stores will come after the independent retailers have fallen in love with something and bet the house on making it successful. So the fewer independent retailers you have in a country, the more difficult it is to support and encourage the next generation of designer and, of course, UK manufacturer. And that's a challenge that we all, as consumers, have to take on uh, because the one thing we can all do in our lives is to vote with our feet and our wallets. So it's very important that we encourage independent retailers wherever we can because the department stores are cautious. 
Department stores also have their own problems, they have their own challenges, they have huge rents, they have to pay their taxes. Uh, in the UK, they can't just pretend they're based somewhere over in Luxembourg. Um, they, like the independents, have to pay their taxes, so they, they have challenges. Um, overseas buyers, traditionally, are more interested, certainly from the UK point of view, they are more interested in quality provenance and they're also very interested in, they're very keen to pay a premium to a certain degree for products that are made in the UK. Um, and certainly when we're looking globally, there are two countries where there is a real premium for made in, in Europe. One of them is made in Italy, which you would expect, and the other one, albeit a smaller case, is made in the UK. They're slightly less interested about made in Portugal, made in Spain, particularly if you're selling footwear, for example. I'm going to Florence next week with 17 footwear companies, and the first question the Italians will ask me is, it's not made in Portugal, is it? We only want it if it's made in the UK. Um, and I think it's also worth pointing out just the globalization that is there. Whether we like it or not, we work in a global world. You have to be able to sell everywhere. So even if you set out as a business just to sell to the UK, you have to actually gear yourself up to sell globally because, as we have discovered, a lot of UK retailers won't buy from British brands until they see them globally. So if I had a pound for every time somebody was at a trade show in Paris and said, you wouldn't believe that I've been trying to get hold of, insert name of the buyer, um, but I've just seen them at this trade show in Paris. They've ignored me in London, but because I'm in Paris or Florence or Berlin, they're interested, they think I've arrived, they think I have something interesting to say. So it works. Roots to market. Now this is, you could have a seminar, we could have a seminar that went on for several days about routes to market, but because of, we're in 2019, I've divided this just some thoughts. These are just really early thoughts about routes to market. Business to consumer on the left-hand side, business to business on the right. You'll notice that social media and branding are really important on both. It's almost impossible to do anything nowadays if you haven't got a brand. And when we're talking to manufacturers as well, and there are some manufacturers in the room, I'm sure, we also talk to them about building a brand. So there are, I talked about Johnston's earlier on, who obviously make textiles, but they also have their own brand. Um, there are companies like, for example, Joshua Ellis in Yorkshire, who make textiles, beautiful textiles. But they've also thought, well, actually, we need to reach out to our consumer direct, so let's have a scarf collection that we can sell to the consumer direct as well. Multi-channel means you have to do everything. So you have to be doing all of these things and you have to do them well, which is a challenge because it means that you have to have deep pockets. But in general terms, social media and branding, you need whatever you're doing nowadays. Um, on the business to consumer side, you'll need a transactional website from day one. You'll need third party web platforms and fulfillment. So you may have spent a mint on a beautiful website but you still need to be selling to third-party web and fulfillment companies because they have a captive audience that go to them when they are looking for a new product. So for example, say for example, Valentine's Day, they may not necessarily, a husband may be looking for a gift for his wife or the other way around. They'll look for a product, they may go to Net-a-Porter, they may go to Etsy, they may go to any number of different sites the first time around. 
once they bought that product and the customer loves it, then the chances are they will go back direct to the brand that's selling it the second time around. So this is all about building your brand, building awareness of your product. You may want, you may need, if you can afford it, your own shops. A lot of companies can't afford that, so they go for pop-up shops. There's a lot of UK brands that do really well at places like Spitalfields Market, for example, or uh, Greenwich Market. So anything that actually puts them in front of a customer with money is usually a good thing. Business to business, which is the, the wholesale market, if you like, which is the area that we traditionally work, have worked in. Uh, again, social media and branding, going to trade shows. Going to trade shows, not necessarily expecting take, to take huge orders anymore but very much reaching out to retailers to persuade them that they want to buy what you have to sell, uh, to get them excited, to have a conversation with them, but also to reach out to these um, third-party platforms. So you know, a lot of the companies we get will take to Pity Romo next week will be saying very exciting things about they saw somebody from Barnes in New York or Saks Fifth Avenue or S-Nation or Isitan in Japan. But they will probably also be approached by, by the Net-a-Porter buyers, for example. They'll be approached by Matches.com. Certainly, we know they go there. So that online business is also being generated at key trade shows. So it would be wrong to say that trade shows are dead. They just work differently. Um, you might want to work through agents, commission agents and intermediaries. You may be wanting to sell to online web stores. There's that transference over to the business-to-consumer side again. Wholesale through stores, selling to stores and actually selling direct. More and more of our brands are saying, well, I've got something that's so very niche that it doesn't really fit. I can't scale it at a trade show. So I'm going to actually identify who the customers are that might buy this. And I'm going to talk to them about, can I give you this product on a sale or return basis? Can I work you in a different way from the one that I traditionally used to work with people on? So in order for all of this... Um, what is needed? A story. It's not enough to make a story up, it's got to be real. And I think from, on behalf of UKFT, and I think Kate would endorse this too, yes, you can create a story that's not true, but actually on behalf of everything we're trying to do in the UK to get consumers internationally to agree that the UK is a great place to source product from, we'd like you to be looking at true stories, preferably because otherwise it lets everybody else down. So let's make sure it really is a real story. And we all know of plenty of stories out there that perhaps uh, have got a grain of truth about them but are not quite as accurate. Um, who is making the merchandise? Who is making the product for you is really important. Um, we spend a lot of our time helping companies to develop their story as part of their brand. You will need a website. Over time, we will, I'm sure, and we're already seeing it, see people dividing their websites so they will see their consumer-facing websites doing one thing and their wholesale websites talking a completely different language to a different set of people. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of that. Um, promotion. Uh, and promotion goes above investment. And I always put the words investment and my colleague Adam will always grin when I say this because investment is that word that strikes fear into the heart of any British person. Um, we're not that good at it. Some people are very good at it. These guys up there and the manufacturers have had to invest, but we have to invest more. Uh, certainly UKFT is talking to government about different ways of making sure that the industry is represented. And one of the things that we're very keen to see is the development of a British business bank, an investment bank, 
like the ones that exist in Germany to help exporters on big, complicated, long lead time business. So all of those things would be really useful for us to have. What are the challenges? Uh, money. Anybody in the room that doesn't have a challenge with money, put your hand up. Don't see any hands. Um, skills. A lot of small designer businesses are tiny. They have what we used to call more dash than cash. Um, they often also don't have the skills they need. So an event like Make It British is fantastic from our point of view because actually you put a group, group of people in the room, they will have complementary and divergent skills. So you may not be very good at selling a collection, but there may be somebody else that can help you with that. That's really important. So supporting the ecosystem in the way that this event does is really important. Contacts. The designer's biggest challenge is not so much how are they going to get it manufactured, because they'll probably um, arm twist the manufacturers to do it for less than it costs them to make it, and that is a, an issue for most of the manufacturers. But how is the designer going to get this collection sold to a buyer that will pay for it? That's their number one challenge. Um, challenges over manufacturing. A lot of the guys, and we see this with Let's Make It Here, um, a lot of the better manufacturers, for example, are really frustrated about the amount of time it takes them to sit down with the designer fresh out of one of our universities that doesn't know what a tech pack is, for example. So the manufacturers get very irritated with the designers and the designers get irritated with the manufacturers. That has been the same for as long as I've been in the industry, which is, I shudder to remember it, but 30 years next week. Um, Multi-channel, the big question is, do you do business to consumer or business to business or both? Um, these are completely different ways of running a business. If you're dealing in wholesale, business to business, you're designing a textile collection a year ahead, you're designing a fashion collection six months ahead, um, and you're only producing goods to match an order that you have received and hopefully will get paid for. If you're doing business to consumer, you have to decide at the beginning of the season how much goods you're going to put into production and then budget for that and hope that you're going to sell them. And if you don't sell them, what's going to happen? So there are challenges. And we are seeing brands that decided, particularly sportswear brands that decided not to go the wholesale route because they said wholesale's dead, don't want to do that anymore, and then find that they build themselves a nice business in the UK better business in Europe, and then they think, well, yeah, but I want to reach into the Middle East. I want to go and sell into China. I want to work in other markets. And they then realize that in order to reach those markets, if you think back to my analogy about Valentine's Day, they have to have some bricks and mortar stores stocking their collection in those countries in order for them to promote their brands to those countries. And then they retrofit the wholesale model onto their business-to-consumer website, and it doesn't usually work very well. Finally, I didn't hear the previous presentation, but I noticed the slides. He's used the same, he, I think it was, has used the same term, the B word. Brexit has made everybody more cautious. Um, people have been putting off decisions for the last three years. Uh, makes life very difficult. Retailers overseas have been deciding, well, if I buy from that British brand, am I going to get delivered? Um, if I, and designers are thinking, well, maybe I'll put off the launch of that new collection uh, until I know what's going on with Brexit. 
we have the same challenges. We work with the Department for International Trade on trade missions to places like Japan, for example. We've been talking to them about uh, a mission to the Czech Republic. And until we know whether the companies will come, we have to decide whether Brexit's happening. And if so, what does it look like? And of course, nobody knows. Um, but we are trying to demystify that. And so if you haven't already, and here's a bit of a plug, do have a look at the UKFT.org website because we have put together in that one place any sensible document that comes from anywhere about Brexit. There's a whole load of stuff out there. Most of it doesn't make sense. Some of it does. Um, and there's a free newsletter as well that you can sign up for. We will try to demystify it. And when we know what Brexit looks like, then I will be talking to my colleague Adam here, who will very reluctantly tell you about what's actually going to happen from, a, from an import-export point of view. So I started talking about the next slide already. What, do, what are we doing? We are the voice for the UK fashion textile industry. If there's a burning issue that you want us to be talking about, then let us know. Um, we are here to bring the industry together. Many of the answers to all of our problems are actually in the industry somewhere. It's just a case of finding somebody that will share information. Uh, we're involved in things like apprenticeships and training. So if you're a manufacturer looking to take on apprentices and you think maybe there's some money out there, then let us know because we have a, a wonderful guy called a very large personality, uh, John West up in the northeast, uh, not northwest, sorry, who knows where uh, and how these apprenticeships work and knows if there is money available depending on the regions you're based in. Um, we, on an export side, sit down with companies, whether they're members of our association or not, and work out business strategy and advice, talking people out of doing things that perhaps they decided that they wanted to do but hadn't really thought through properly. We run networking events and seminars on industry-related topics. It's all about fashion textiles. This industry works in a completely different way from almost every other, and certain parts of our industry don't talk to other parts. So, for example, um, the lingerie and the swimwear companies don't see themselves as part of the larger women's wear industry. So we, we act to try and bring those conversations together because, of course, they are. Um, the knitwear industry didn't traditionally think it was part of the fashion industry. Well, here we are, it is. Um, for younger, com younger companies, companies that have been in business for less than five or ten years, Rise for Fashion, the UKFT Rise Group, is a social group that comes together every couple of months, I think it is, usually around some alcoholic, be alcoholic beverage. The newsletter I've mentioned already, and again, trade show advice and support. If you're interested in trade shows, export trade shows, then please do let us know. Um, one of the things that we get most upset about is when somebody's signed up for a trade show and it's the wrong one. They've been talked into it, they've gone off, they've spent their hard-earned £3,000, which means everything to them, and they've ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's criminal as far as I'm concerned. So let's help. And then finally, nearly, um, we've relaunched Let's Make It Here. So I don't know whether you're familiar with Let's Make It Here, and I haven't put the web up there, but it's letsmakeithere.org. Free to list, free to consult uh, list of manufacturers, and it's a way of putting manufacturers and customers together. Um, it's been going now for the last five years, and with support from the Department for International Trade, we have relaunched it. Uh, my colleague Tara, who was sitting there, has been pulling her hair out on a daily basis, trying to get the translations done. Um, 
mostly the site is used by designers wanting to find a manufacturer for their collection, which is why it was originally created. But we discovered that it was also being used by large Japanese and American stores that were looking to have a collection made under their own label, particularly Isatan, for example, in Japan. So it's there, please use it. If you see something that looks out of place, if you suddenly find that somebody that has registered shouldn't have, then let us know because we'd like to know. There are only about 10 of us and there are lots more of you. So you, if you're happy to be our ambassadors and our eyes and ears, we'd be very grateful. It's been relaunched in eight languages, English, French, Italian, um, Japanese, Chinese, Korean. Have I missed any? No, that'll do. Um, and the next phase, obviously, we will start to up, up, update the content. But it's a really useful resource and I hope you will use it. And please do let us know what you think. I put that up there because I thought I would end on a bit of colour. This is one of our Welsh-based designers, Misa Harada, uh, who was showing at Premier Class in Paris. This is a photograph from two seasons back, but I like the pink. Um, and um, this just goes to show that you know, a small milliner based in Cardiff actually has a huge international fashion business. She's manufacturing collections for the catwalk, working with all the big international designers. It's all made here. And if you talk to a lot of these manufacturers, they may not be able to tell you exactly who they're manufacturing for, but many of them are manufacturing for the best, the most prestigious international fashion houses and luxury houses. So there really is a fantastic story to tell out of the UK and I hope you'll help us to tell it. That's me. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me a, just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.